All right. If you're a uh, visitor here, I want to I want to again welcome you to church today. If you're a first time visitor, uh, please come back uh, next week or whenever your preacher is preaching, and I know that you'll get a blessing. Uh, this is uh, this is different uh, for you today as well as it is for the church because uh, you got a special speaker in. So don't neglect coming back and hearing. Uh, from the pastor of this church. I know that you'll get a blessing out of it. been a blessing to me. Uh, brought my wife with us, or with me today, and uh, I got her back there. Obviously, most of you know who she is, uh, but uh, I've also brought two of our younger kids, and we left the four olders at home. Uh, I have no idea why I did that yet, but we left them all home alone. I, I quoted him a scripture, and I said, it is good to be zealously affected in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. And that's what Paul told the Galatian church. And I said, you better do what you know you're supposed to do. So we're only one broken window into a problem, and i got to get up there and figure out what happened. But uh, sure enough, playing golf inside the house results in breaking windows. <laughs> Who would have thought? So praise the Lord, it's double pain. We'll see if I actually have to break anything else when I get up there, amen? <clears throat> but we'll figure it out. But uh, they're good kids, and I thank God for, for them uh, from 18 on down to 12. And they're at church right now. Praise the Lord. I, it's awesome watching. I talk about family, and it's awesome watching your kids grow up. And uh, I love them at the little age. I'm, I'm the one that always got the baby itch. You know, my wife was done, uh, and I'm just like, I'm not. So, hey, let's have another one, right? <laughs> Bible says his quiver. I'm just throwing out that pronoun. says his quiver, you know. But anyhow, and uh, I got done with that, and... And uh, now I'm enjoying the watching them get older and being able to sit down at fellowship with them. And my daughter can uh, drive, and she goes off to work, and she's got a job at a floral art- artistry place up there, and the boss loves her, says she's got a lot of untapped potential, and she's respectable. That's awesome. It's great. And uh, so she's an adult, and so we did leave them with an adult. She just happened to be at work when they decided to break a window. But hey, what can you do? Just kind of what happens. So... But uh, you pray for us. Things are going good. I want to thank the church. Obviously, uh, this church is a big supporter of our ministry and of our family, and I appreciate that. Uh, you guys have always uh, done abundantly above more than I could ask or think. And, uh, I, you know, I might send a thank you card and it might get read. I don't know all that stuff. But just personally from us, I just want to say thank you for loving us and for what you do. Um, uh, thank you for pouring into that church. I mean, uh, you see the result of it through the Burchards and, and uh, what you did for them and, and then for us, and uh, I just appreciate it. Stillwaters Baptist Church appreciates uh, having, having this church down here and for all the work you do. We're trying to kind of help out a little bit uh, through the, the Brother Carson and uh, with the John and Romans. We got 10,000 that uh, we got up there, and uh, uh, we put together 10,000 last year, and we're going to put another 10,000. And you know what I know? You don't need our church to do 10,000. You don't need our church to do 10,000 John and Romans for you. You guys can get all of the ones done that you need to get done. But what I appreciate is being able to have my church be able to do something more. And I appreciate that, just being able to get that done. So we're, we're kind of tapped in a little bit to the John and Romans ministry down here by just trying to do some of them. And uh, hopefully they'll be the ones that are put together right. But, you know, hey. I just took what Jim told me, and then I did the opposite, and everything turned out just great. <clears throat> told you I was going to throw you under the bus today, amen? <laughs> Anyways, uh, the other thing I, I want to say is I, I had to step out for a minute, but I know the, young, the lady was up here talking about the uh, sanctity of life, and uh, I, am, I got asked this year to be on the board of uh, Life Choices, which is an uh, organization there in Lewiston, and so... You know, I'm praying for the Lord for an opportunity in the community and just do some stuff. And so it is very important 
And uh, I, I thank God for that, for that opportunity to be a part of it. And, you know, filling up a baby bottle, you can do that. Amen. You can do that and uh, get on board with it. From what I can tell, it doesn't look like they got enough of them out there. So, you know, fill them up and, and you never know what's going to happen with those lives. Every life is fearfully and wonderfully made and they're made with a design. And uh, as I, I talked to you, at, at those that I talked to at the, the marriage retreat or the couples retreat and then talked to a brother earlier, you know, God made your child individual and uh, it is your job to find the wisdom to raise them within that individual personality. But unfortunately, the devil, since he cannot create life, is doing the direct opposite and snuffing it out as fast as he can. And then if it does come into this world, he then tries to confuse it as much as he possibly can. And, uh, you know, uh, this is something that you can do. And so uh, I, I'd like to be, I'm glad that, you know, this church is involved with that. Our church gets involved with as much as we can. And, uh, and it's a blessing. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 7. I told you that I'd get a little more doctoral than today. Now, when you come to Revelation, you know, you got guys that everyone, everyone wants to argue about books that are hard to understand. <laughs> Everybody likes to read Revelation because they don't understand any of it. You know, and you get the, the new, the, the churches out there and abroad, out there and about say, oh, Revelation's not literal, and you don't have to take it literal, and it's all allegorical and all that. No, you better take it literal. Amen. Uh, you best do your best to take every verse in the Bible as literal as you possibly can, uh, unless he might not be meaning something literal there, and it's just a type or a figure or whatnot. But uh, we come to Revelation. You know, before I open up the book of Revelation, even when I taught on it, and I taught it for over three years, you know, I told them when I first started, I said this. I didn't come to the, come to the pulpit, you know, hey, I know the book of Revelation, and you know nothing. I came at it like this. I feel like I'm teaching with one foot on a roller blade and one foot on a banana peel. <laughs> I just kind of feel that way when I open up the book of Revelation. Uh, there's just so many things that I just don't know or that I think I know. And then somebody comes up to me afterwards and goes, you're wrong on that. And I'm like, I knew it. I just knew it. So Rick, would you not come up to me and tell me what you wrote about the book of Revelation after I'm done preaching on this message? Amen. But anyhow, you know, I'm going to look at some things here in the book of Revelation. And I don't know that it's, it's just some stuff that you look at. And we're going to look at the 144,000. And we're only going to look at every one of them by name individually. So it'll get done tonight. Hopefully, <laughs> you'll get it tonight. You can, it's okay to laugh at some of my corny jokes. It helps me to produce more of those jokes later on. It's about the way it works. Amen. Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. It starts out with these guys. And they're mentioned in two chapters. Chapter 7, chapter 14. We'll look at these uh, today. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. No, that does not mean four corners of the earth. The earth is flat. Thank you. All right. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor of the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So much for uh, God being an environmentalist. <laughs> Amen. Uh, he said, uh, you know, it's all going to burn. <laughs> uh, he's going to hurt it. Now, now, I don't think that, I, I do like what, uh, I think it was, uh, President Roosevelt did and put together parks where we can't go put Burger Kings and Kmart smack dab right in the middle of them. Amen? I'm glad there's places like Bryce Canyon and Zion Canyon and the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone where you can go and enjoy the beauty of nature that our God has majestically created. But you are not going to preserve it. This is not your heaven. This is not your kingdom. And he said he's going to hurt the earth. Now we understand why. There's sin all over this place. Verse 3, saying... Uh, he says this, and it, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed. Now, there's a reason why I didn't do it until a certain time. Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. 
And I heard the number of them which were sealed. Then he goes on and he tells you the number of those that were sealed. And they were sealed of 144 uh, and 40 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And he gives you the tribes of what they are. Now, I'm going to give you just some things that I think what they were sealed with here is just by way of an introduction, just something interesting to learn. This is not the message. We'll jump to chapter 14 in a few minutes. We're going to jump back to the book of Psalms. We're going to jump around a little bit here in the Bible and, and just kind of look at some things. Say, what were they? I'm sure everybody has an idea or a thought or somebody's commentary on what, what was they sealed in their foreheads. But look, if you would, uh, if you would, in chapter 13. You know, things being on a Jewish person's forehead is not new in the Bible. And if you've read through the Bible, you'll even know that Old Testament Orthodox Jewish men were to have a thing called a phylactery. It was two boxes, and they were black. They were leather cubes containing a piece of parchment. And that would, one of them would go on their arm, my assumption, their right arm. I don't know why, I just feel it is assumption, their right arm. And the other one is their forehead. You can find this in Exodus 13, 9, Deuteronomy 6, 8, excuse me, and chapter 11, verse 18. They would put those on, and, and you know, if you've got somebody walking around with something on their forehead, it's pretty obvious. You can usually tell an Orthodox Hindu. You say, why? Because they got the scratch and sniff thing right there in the middle of their forehead, amen? <laughs> they got it right there. You say, what are you doing? You're just kind of, you're ridiculing that. Yeah, but I want you to understand something. They're dedicated enough for you to know who they follow right away because of what they do on the outside and smack dab right in the middle of their forehead. So these Orthodox Jews would walk around with this, these phylacteries on their forehead. Aaron was told, the prophet, uh, or excuse me, the high priest Aaron was told to wear a golden mitre, which is the headdress of the ancient high priest, and on his forehead with the words, holiness to the Lord. And that was done in Exodus chapter 28. Imagine walking around, you could never hide who you served if you had holiness to the Lord written across your hat, <laughs> right? I am by no means telling you to go get a tattoo on your forehead. <laughs> I really think that the, the, the blowing up of tattoos in these last days is a sign of the end times. I just Let me give you this. This is not my message, so somebody needs it here today, and I hope that you get it. I don't like them. I can't stand them. I know that a lot of people have them from their past, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about now, if you're a Christian, you're moving forward, you keep the devil's scribbles off of God's canvas. All right? God created you in his image, and the devil's trying to do everything he can to make you look more like him and to erase the image of God in the view of man. But you just say, what's happened with tattoos? Tattoos are blowing up all over the place. You say, why? Well, just imagine you're not saved, and you go into the tribulation. And know you're going to have what we're going to look at in Revelation 13 here in just a minute, 666 on your forehead or on your right hand. If you're, a, if you're kind of a laid-back personality who doesn't want to be seen, you know what you might say, just put it here. But if you're one of the new hipsters, like you're seeing everybody do with face tattoos and all that, boom, right in the middle of your forehead, man, hit me now. That's kind of what I think is happening. It's getting preparation for what is going to take place when the tribulation comes rolling that way. Just stay away from it if you're a Christian. Amen? I know four of you agree with that in this room today, but the rest of you need to be able to say amen at some point to something like that. <laughs> Just stay away from it. Stay away from it. But anyhow, Revelation chapter 13. Now, I kind of preach like a spitfire, and I'm sorry about that. I've had people tell me, slow down. And I just say, speed up. <laughs> it's a little hard to slow down once you get in the mode. Plus, you want me to get done. You know you do. So you should be saying, preach faster. Amen. <laughs> Not too loud there. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 16. Now this is, let me, let me give you something here about the devil. The devil is not a creator. 
The devil is a mimicker, correct? He, he, he comes across like the angel of light. You know the Bible prophesied was going to be an angel that would be seen later on? Talk about Jesus Christ in Deuteronomy. You talk about there's angel that, or the angel that went before them, and you talk in Revelation chapter 10, I think you see Jesus Christ come down, and they call him an angel. You say, what do you see? You see the devil tries to mimic what Jesus does. Who is Jesus on the cross? What animal does Jesus represent on the cross in figure? The snake, right? All of his bones are out of joint. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God, be, the Son of Man, be lifted up. And we even still use that symbol for our health care today of the snake on the pole, the picture of what Jesus Christ was like on the cross. And what does the devil use as the first thing right out of the box in Genesis chapter 3? A serpent. He has no original idea. He's just mimicking the one whose throne he wants to take and tried to take. You, what does he go about? How does he go about? What animal does he go about as, in type, seeking whom he may devour? What is it? And Jesus is called the what of the tribe of Judah? You say, what do you know about the devil? He's a mimicker. He doesn't come up with an original idea. He just takes what God does and he perverts it and changes it. That's what to go back to the tattoos thing. God made you in his image and that's why the devil is trying the best he can to make you in his image. Got it? The devil's a mimicker. He's not a creator. He doesn't create anything. He can't create life, so hence he tries to destroy it. All right, now, we know that about him. So we come to Revelation chapter 13. What do we know? Verse 16 says, He shall cause all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I don't know that, you know, I know the Bible says here, uh, no man might have it. It says, uh, bond or free, small or great, rich or poor. I don't, I don't know that little kids get the mark. I'm just going to be honest. They might. I'm, not, I'm just speaking from my own, my own perspective here. Do you know that there is a group of people that survive, that go into the, the millennial reign of Christ, that God has to rule over with a rod of iron? And if you get the mark, you're done for. It says small and great. Doesn't that mean small like little kids? Do you know that the Bible calls great people in the Bible? They were known for notoriety, the great woman of Shunem, or Naaman, who was great. You know, some of you in this room, you're small. Some of you in this room, your name is great. It's just the way it is. Maybe kids get it, maybe they don't. I don't, I don't know. But it says here, the reason for it is to sell, buy or sell. All right? That they might might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And feel free to disagree with everything I'm saying right now. Be honest with you. Uh, you can't. Not out loud personally. But you can, you can later on and don't come up to me later about it. I'm pretty happy with my false doctrine, so just let me roll around with it. Amen? <laughs> Verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, for his number is 603 score and six. And we know that thing goes right there in the middle of his forehead. That's three digits, 666. Now, deal, bear with me here. We come to the next chapter, 144,000, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their father's name written where? In their foreheads. You say, what do you think their father's name is? Jump, if you would, back to Psalms 88. Now, I've taught that these men, these 144,000 male Jewish virgins, go throughout the world in Matthew 24, and I believe that they preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I believe they go out there and they try to uh, tell others what is going to take place and the kingdom of heaven on this earth, and they're going to go and they're going to preach. And they're going to be known, you say, why? Well, because 
they're going to have that name on their forehead. So you say, what is that name? Well, I've already kind of told you the devil's a mimicker. So we put three things right on his people's head. And they've got their name sealed on their forehead. I just kind of think it's the name of God. It says the name of their father, but I think it's an abbreviated version. Look at Psalms 83. We know a lot of the Psalms tie in with the end times. Did I say Psalms 24 earlier? I don't know what I said, but you were wrong for hearing me wrong. Amen. Psalms 83. Here we go. Keep not thou silence, O God. Behold not thy peace. Be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. They that hate thee have lifted up the head. You know, that's going to be what it's like before the Lord comes down and squashes all of his enemies below them. They're going to hate him. And this is all introduction this morning. I'm just giving you stuff right now. just want you to think. But notice that the Lord is coming after his enemies in verse 2. You know, they are confederate against him and his people. The world has come together to come against God. Look at verse 3. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. Interesting. The hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel be no more in remembrance. You know, when I read this, I have a hard time not reading Revelation chapter 12 where the dragon's trying to drown out Israel. All right? Verse, verse uh, 5. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites and of Moab and the Hagarines and Gebel and Ammon and Amalek and the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Look at this, verse 8. This is a little scary. Who's Asher, by the way? Who is Asher? He's one of the tribes. I mean, look what the Bible says. You know, you know what I think is a lesson to be said right here in the middle of this? If you're one of God's people, you shouldn't be confederate with the Ammonites. Look what he says. Asher also is joined with them against their own God. They have hope in the children of Lot, Selah. Do unto them as unto the Midianites and unto Sisera and to Jabin. He's talking about the wars that happened in old time, how God came through and killed Sisera and killed Jabin at the brook of Kishron, which perished at Endor. They become as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, yea, all the princes of Zeba and Zalmunna. These are princes that once were powerful, who God came through with his people and leveled them. Verse 12, who said, let us take ourselves the house of God in possession. Oh my God, make them like a wheel, and as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. You say, what do you see? I see the Lord coming down here in Revelation 19 and just wiping his enemies out. Verse 15, so persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill thy faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever, yea, let them be put to shame and perish you know, Revelation chapter 6, it says those kings of the earth, they couldn't hide themselves because that cloud, that heaven was rolled back and they saw him on the throne and they tried to hide themselves. And he's coming down, man. That's the end, man. He's coming down and he's going to make it. He's going to ruin his enemies. But look at the last verse. That men may know that thou art whose name alone is Jehovah. That's capitalized. Mine's capitalized. It says this, Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. Now, I want you to grab Psalms 68. Psalm 68, similar psalm, similar tone. We are talking about the Lord taking out his enemies, becoming the salvation to his people. Look, if you would, in verse 20. He that is our God is the God of salvation. That, that's, that's not a salvation by the blood of the cross. That's a salvation of him coming back and taking care of his people. Do you understand that the word, every time the word salvation is mentioned in your Bible, it's not always referring to the blood of the cross? Do you know that 
we're waiting for the salvation of our Lord, you that are saved, meaning to get out of here and raptured. You need to be able to look at the words of the Bible and understand that it does not, one word does not have the same meaning all the way through it. Read the context and notice the scriptures. But Israel is waiting here. It says, He that is our God is the God of salvation unto, the Lord, unto God. The Lord belongeth the issues from death. Now you can preach that however you want. It's an awesome verse to spiritualize as well. But God shall wound the head of his enemies. And the hairy scalp of such as everyone that goeth on still in his trespass, the Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says, later on, earlier on it says that the blood will be up to the horses' bridles. And later on in that Revelation 19, after they wipe, God wipes out all the kings of the earth, it says that the beasts of the field will go into that thing and it will eat the carcasses and it will lick the blood. I think we're kind of in the same type of passage. I want to draw your attention to the first couple of verses. It says this, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. And in that day there will be no, no running from God. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away as the wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Exult, extol him that rideth upon the heavens. Do you know where the Lord's coming back in Revelation 19? Where is he coming back from? In Revelation 19, where he's going to wipe out all the enemies in the battle of Armageddon. Come on, where is he coming back from? heaven. He rideth upon the heavens. That thing's going to open up and God's coming down in Revelation 19 and he is going to stamp out his enemies. The blood is going to be up to the horse's bridles for 176 miles in the valley of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, and there is nowhere the enemy is going to run. Now, that same verse, verse 4, look if you would. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, what? What's your Bible say? By his name what? How many letters is that? Three. Remember those 144,000 have their father's name written in their forehead. If the devil's a great mimicker and he puts three things on his people's forehead, you know what I just think? You don't have to agree with me, Rick. You don't have to agree with me. He's going to make an addendum or whatever it is to his next books on why this is wrong by Pastor Gip. But anyhow, you say what I think. I think they're going to have jaw sealed in their forehead. The name of God. You know what Jah is? It's an abbreviation of Jehovah. It's the first letter and the last two of Jehovah. Jah. They're going to be sealed in their foreheads. Everybody's going to know who they belong to. It's an interesting thing. Nobody will be able to hide who they belong to if they had it put in their forehead, walking around, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Something's coming. I hope you're on board with me today. You can understand something. Look, if you would, I was reading this today in my Bible. Let's keep with this thought. Isaiah chapter 12. Real short chapter in the book of Isaiah. And it starts off with, and in that day. <laughs> you see those words in that day, you know what you're getting to. You're getting to the end. Worship of the kingdom. You're, you're talking, the, in, in that day a lot of things happen. Many of the Old Testament prophets talk about that great notable day of the Lord. It says this, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou, art con and thou can comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah 
is my strength. There it is again. I've got it capitalized. Is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Look at verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. You say, what's happening? Revelation chapter 19. Right after these 144,000 get done with their job, shortly after they get done with their job, the Lord is going to come down out of heaven. You say, I don't believe that. Well, if you have a hard time believing he's coming down out of heaven, I'm kind of having a hard time believing that you're ever thinking you're going up one day. He's coming down out of heaven. He is going to hit the earth as a second advent, and advent is when his feet actually touch the earth. His first one, is his feet hit the earth as a little baby lamb of God. But the next day, his feet hit the earth. It's going to hit the earth like a roaring lion. He's going to come back and wipe out his enemies. And he's going to come through there like Jeremiah says, and he's going to be stamping them out like the grapes, and the blood's going to splatter all up, and his garment's going to be blood splattered, and he's going to be roaring down through there and stamping out all of his enemies. And you need to be behind him, amen? <laughs> now, you say, how are people going to know this is even going to happen? Because before this happens, 144,000 guys are going to go throughout the earth with God's name sealed right in their forehead and start preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, this is coming. This is coming. Now, let's look at those 144,000, and let me give you the message this morning. You didn't come here to leave. Amen? But you're only going to be in one chapter, so you're not going to go anywhere else today. I try to keep you right in one chapter. We're done moving around the Bible. Look back to Revelation 14. We know that these 144,000 with God's name sealed in their forehead who go out throughout the earth, they're from 12,000 uh, from each of the 12 tribes. We know that according to Revelation chapter 7. I don't know about you, that kind of eliminates you, doesn't it? The message they're preaching eliminates you. <laughs> you're, 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 you're not preaching the same gospel they're preaching. Revelation chapter 14, look what else I want you to see. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. This is a very unique group of individuals who has a very unique ministry at a very unique time with a very unique message for the people that are on the earth. There are 144,000 Jewish male virgins, 12,000 from each tribe. Any of them in here today? That's exactly what I thought. And you say, then, preacher, why are you preaching on these guys as they roll throughout the earth preaching this? You say, why are you preaching on them? Because let me ask you a question here. And let's now drop the doctrinal thing and let's bring it into a spiritual side. If God needed men or people like that today to carry his message today, would you make the cut? Could God come down and find people as precise for the ministry that he needs on this earth today. Now, I'm going to spiritualize these things and show you and ask you, would you make the cut with these men? Let's pray. Lord, I come before you thanking you for this opportunity to open up the book. I'm always excited about the Bible. Even if what I said was 100% wrong, God, it just felt good to say it. <laughs> I love this book. I love the way the Bible's intertwined, how the Old Testament prophets prophesied about that day Lord, where you're going to break through the atmosphere of coming down from the heavens. Lord, they wrote about it. They warned about it. And now in Revelation, uh, we see it take place. But Lord, before that happens, there's a group of people that go and warn that it's going to happen. Lord, there's a coming 
day coming for this earth. Lord, there's a day of destruction, a, a, a day of a nightmare reality that each and every individual have to face at some point if they're not saved. And God, before that time, you have commissioned us, according to the Matthew, to go and to tell them your gospel. Lord, you want us to uphold a certain ethic, standard, righteousness, in order for that message to actually have some power behind it. Lord, I pray as we look at these men here for just a few moments, God, that you might help us to survey our own lives and find out that we would make the cut Lord, if we would be found worthy to carry your message to this people today, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 14, if you would. Look, if you would, in verse 1. First thing I want to say about these guys is this. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. These are unique individuals, unique time, unique message, unique notification. Having their father's name written in their forehead. The first thing I want to say is that they had a thriving testimony. There is no way if you had the name of God imprinted on your forehead that anybody would be able to mistake you for anything other than what the Bible calls a servant of God. Yet oftentimes in our life, we have to tell people, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> yes, I love the Lord. These guys walked around, they did whatever God wanted them to do, and on their forehead was the name sealed in their forehead. They had a thriving testimony. There was no hiding from whom they were serving. You know what God wants today? He wants people to have a thriving testimony. He wants people who are unashamed. Paul said that. He said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Listen, when I preach it, it's easy to kind of pound my foot or, or talk about it in, in heightened exaggerations from here. But I want to let you know that as a man, when I go out there and I pass out a track, there is oftentimes a fear that comes with it from this preacher. There is oftentimes an anxiety that sets in before I stand out on a street court and say, the Bible says, before I knock on that door or I hang that canvassing packet with some information about our church and about the Bible on it. There is often some, there is often some tension that rolls around in my soul because I'm a human being. But I'm telling you this, you and I have a higher calling for a higher purpose from a higher commander to go out and do it and to have a thriving testimony before the world. This world puts in bright lights and all over their body and all over the TV screen and all over their cars what they represent. What about us? These men had a thriving testimony. There was no way for them to deny it. Paul said again, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The psalmist says this, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and I will not be ashamed. I wonder how many of us can sing stand up, stand up for Jesus and it honestly be our testimony. You know, you're in a, God puts you as a missionary in your work. Now when I say that, let me put that with the understanding that you are there to work for God and work for your employer. And if you get fired because you're witnessing too much, you need to be wise. <laughs> I've heard guys, oh, my, I witnessed and they fired me. That's because your boss doesn't pay you to witness. The talks of the lips bringeth to penury. <laughs> Shut up and work. Amen? But you ought to pray for an opportunity to be an example of a Christian. When that hammer comes down, wafflehead hammer. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Wafflehead hammer comes down and takes the skin from this side of your thumb all the way down across the front of it and peels it right off there and there's that beautiful blue flesh. You know what you say? 
Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, I'm telling you that hurt. I can still feel the pain. My buddy grabbed a hold of the tail of a truss as I'm bringing it down, man. Whoa, the hammer of the Lord. Break it, the stones in pieces. <laughs> Crush. And he grabbed that tail and he moved it. And I went, <laughs> ah! And all those heathen looked wrong. Oh, man, the preacher's going to cuss. <laughs> and I went, glory to God. You say, what are you going to do? Well, what am I going to do? I, better, I tell them I love him. I better start acting like it, even when things don't go right. They had a thriving testimony. I don't think things were right in the world in their existence. We call it the tribulation. It's easy to serve God when everything is great and the skies are blue and the grass is green and all the bills are paid. But Christianity blossomed in times when Paul roamed the earth and was slaying them left and right. Christianity blossoms when everything is dark and it's rough and times are tumultuous. And these men had a thriving testimony. You're going to have a man preach down here later on this year named John Havman. If you don't know John Havman, you will by the time the meeting's over. And you know one thing about him? He's never gotten over the fact that he got under the blood. And you should be the same way. You say, well, John Havman got saved out of a life of crime and wickedness and, you know, uh, the, the dung of this world. Yeah, but some of you haven't. And how much greater a testimony should you have to the world of what Christ has saved you from or away from? I love that man. There's a man named Alan Ryman I know. Every time I see him, every time I talk to him, and he's just on fire for God. You say, why? They never got over what the Lord did for them. They have a thriving testimony. These 144,000 went through some of the darkest points of their life, the darkest points of Earth's future history, and they had a thriving testimony about who they belong to. Mark 8, 38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of what he's done for you. Speak up and speak out. Speak about him. You know, when I talk about Christianity, I think people think this thought that as soon as you get saved, you become a Christian. I don't think that's what happens. When you become saved, you become saved. Amen. But salvation is different than becoming a Christian. Acts eleven twenty six 26, it says this, And when he found him, Barnabas found him, Paul, and when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves at the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They went out there. The church got together. The church is made up of saved people, correct? Should be. I mean, no, we could have lost people in the mix, but I'm talking about the church is made up of saved people. The church is made up of saved people. They took a year and they discipled those saved people. And the Bible does not say the church was called Christians. It says the disciples were called Christians. You say, what are you getting at? There's a lot of people that sit under the same influential preaching behind this pulpit week in and week out who never do anything with it. And they want to claim the same name you claim who go out there and do exactly what God tells you to do from this pulpit? I don't think that's fair. You say, what do people, what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who's been saved, knows it 100%, but then takes the preaching of the word of God and puts feet to it and goes out there in the lost community and then is noticed by the world, hey, you're like Christ. Think about that. You're a Christian, aren't you? Well, yeah, I am. 
You say, why? Because that preaching came across the pulpit over, year in and year out, and I started applying it to my life, and I want to be like him. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is a person who's saved but doesn't care what the world thinks about their testimony. That's what you and I have the ability to do. That's what these men did. They went out there and they walked around and they did what God told them to do and they had a thriving testimony. They weren't hiding it. It was there for everybody to see. Are you a Christian today? You say, what else did they have? Listen, I love, I love coming to church and I love singing. You know what they had also? Look at verse 3. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn that song but what the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth you say what did they have they had a thriving testimony they also had a shameless song they had a shameless song you know if christians would praise god more the world would doubt god less this world will pump up the pump up the vibes and they'll pump up the music and they'll jump around and they'll you know they'll dance and they'll do whatever they want because they are not ashamed of who they're glorifying and you know what we'll do? We'll pump up their music and we'll not be ashamed of who they're glorifying as well. <laughs> you know what you might want to do next time that guy pulls in and his, uh, his whole car is rattling with the... You might want to just drop your window and put in some sound doctrine and just crank it up. Amen? And you, it's okay if you want to lean back behind your B-pillar and look over at him. What's up? <laughs> I don't care how you want to do it, but you know what the preacher said. Listen to this one. Hey, hey, turn that down. Listen to this one. You can't get blood from a cucumber. I don't know how that's spiritual, but he wrote about it, and it works just great. <laughs> I mean, the guy makes the weirdest songs, but they're all pretty cool, right? You go in there, and you put in whatever songs you want. Why don't you just start singing? Why don't you, you know what people don't do anymore? Why don't you whistle while you work? You say, I'm not allowed to witness, but I bet everybody knows this. Right? Oh, boy, that song's going to stick with them. How about, uh, trying to think of another one here that everybody would know. I was going to say whistle. That's not, what I, that's not what I meant to do. That's the one that came to my mind because I'm thinking about whistling. But I mean, you, just, you just go out there and whistle. Why don't you hum? Why don't you smile? This is the greatest billboard for the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life. You know what this world is? The Bible says that in the last days, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that men will be fierce. I'm so tired of watching people walk to Walmart like this. You know, with a fake chest, you know, pumped out, visible, visible lats disease. What's up? You know, they're walking around acting all fierce. Why don't you just smile at people? The mask is gone. Why don't you show them the joy of the Lord in your heart? You know what I like to do? I like to sing. I like to sing. And if that makes somebody uncomfortable, oh well. You know what these guys had? You know what I like? I like hearing men sing. Man, you say, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Aren't you glad that the Bible just says make a joyful noise? <laughs> so please do us a favor and don't come up here and sing for us, but would you sing out there, amen? <laughs> You say, I don't want to sing a special. Then don't. But why don't you lift up your voice in the congregation? When your kid looks over at you and they see dad over there singing, not just mom, why don't they see dad lifting up his voice? You know what these men were doing? They were singing a song shamelessly. They didn't care who saw it, who, who knew it. They were singing it. 
The Bible instructs us, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in hymns and uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I had an old man, he's in heaven now, he always called me Pastor Gibbs. I figured I'd have to join the CLA or something because I don't know what was going on, but he'd call me up and I'm out there in Lewiston and he was, in, he was from New York and he'd call me up, Pastor Gibbs, it's Brother Kenny McQuaid. Hey brother, it's Pastor Gibbs, how you doing? <laughs> You know, and every once in a while, halfway, all he would do was call me to encourage me. He knew for 10 years in New York, and all he'd do, or New York, and all he would do is call me to encourage me. And every once in a while, he'd just break out into song. It's a little awkward, got to admit. <laughs> you say, what did that old saint not care? He didn't care what anybody thought. He had a song to sing. You know why these men had a song to sing? Because it says there at the end of that verse, in verse 3, they were redeemed from the earth. I'm going to say this, they're singing before the throne, and it's going to be really easy for you to lift up holy, holy, holy then when you're 100% perfect and like him, but it's better for you to do it now when you have a free will that's saying, I don't want to do this, that you should stand up and you should sing out, holy, 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 and just lift him up in front of somebody, even if it's just here in church. I'm not saying walk around your work singing holy, 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 but listen, there should be something shameless inside of you about what he's done. One day, you, like them, are going to be redeemed from the earth. And as far as I can tell, that's a blessed hope. Don't be like them. We don't have to walk around with a chip on our shoulder. Instead, we should walk around being willing to sing about our Savior. They only had, not only had a thriving testimony, they not only had a shameless song. Look in verse 4. They had a personal purity. Personal purity. It says this, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. You say, what did they do? They purposed to remain pure. Do you know that the promise in Isaiah did not say it was going to be Mary, that a virgin would conceive and that her name would be Mary. Do you know that? We know her name. You say, why do you know her name? Because when God saw fit for the first advent to take place, he knew the stipulation was that it would be a young Jewish girl who was a virgin. And when he looked down, he looked through all of them, and he went, Mary, I'm going to use you. You say, why did he look at Mary? Because Mary, in the midst of a corrupt Roman world that was doing everything they could to, preserve, to pervert and to defile these precious children of God, Mary chose to remain pure. Your purity is your choice. Nobody can take your purity from you. You give it up in anything. I'm not just talking about the intimacy level. I'm talking about the things that we've allowed in our life. Christian, you say, but I was peer pressured into it. No, 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 no. Everything you gave into, you gave into on purpose. And everything that you chose to say, no, I'm going to serve God instead, was purposeful as well. You have to choose to remain as pure as you possibly can. You have to choose to change the station. You have to choose to not befriend those types of people. 
You have to choose to come out from among them and be ye separate in order to be accepted by God for a higher calling. You have to choose to say, I'm not going there and putting myself in that situation. You say, but Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was perfect. <laughs> you need to be careful about what you do. You need to be careful about what you go. These 144,000 men were sought out purposely and God found them and one of the stipulations was that they had a personal purity in their life. Moses lived in the midst of the world, Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, he midst, lived in the midst of, of, of Egypt, a dark time at a dark place for, for, for those that were the children of God. And the Bible says that he chose to, to, to stay away from the pleasures of sin because he knew they were for a season. I'm not going to sit here and say sin isn't fun. I'll, in fact, I'll say the direct opposite. Sin is a riot. <laughs> Right? Thank you. One of you is being honest in here. Sin's fun, man. You know, the problem is when you tell kids that sin's not fun and then they go out and they experience it, they're going to wonder what else you lied about. Do you need me to repeat that? <laughs> if you go tell your kids sin is not fun and you're going to hate it and you're, you're just going to, you're going to, it's going to be terrible, then guess what happens? When they finally commit sin, they're going to go, I wonder what else mom and dad were not telling me is true. You know, I'm going to tell your kids right now, anybody that was in here that was young, sin's fun. But it only is fun for a season. And then all of the things that you warn them about come back. And you might go out and you might have fun for a little while, but it will come to an end. And Moses knew that. And in the midst of the world, while everybody was doing what they wanted to do, he says, I'd rather endure the afflictions than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that man, even though he had fallacies and even though he had problems, God took him and he said, I'm going to make you to become the greatest deliverer and leader Israel has ever known. You say, why? Because there was a personal purity in his life. You know what God wants for each and every one of us? To be pure. Isn't the command, be holy for I am holy? You know, you know where that's given? Earthside. Be ye holy for I am holy. God hath not laid upon man more than right that he should bring us into judgment. God doesn't say, hey, be holy. By the way, you can't do it and I'm going to judge you for it. You know what he says? Be holy for I am holy. You know what the Bible says? You can do it. Can I comfort you a little bit here this morning when it comes to the judgment? You know what we do? We scare people with the judgment. I, I understand that, Right? Judgment's scary. When those blue and black, you know, blue and red lights get in the rear of your mirror behind you, I hope that your pulse, you know, you know, your, your heartbeat comes up a little bit faster and you start to sweat a little bit. You say, why? Because you're afraid of the judgment. You know what a lot of Christians are? We're afraid of the judgment. So let's go to the verse in our minds. It talks about the judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And what's he say? We must all appear. There's no getting away from it. That's a little scary, correct? All right, one of you. Thank you again. It's okay to respond with at least a grunt or something so I know we're on board here. You say, what is it? I know that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's one of those promises in the book that's mine, 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 you know. Yeah. So wonderful, all the promises in the Bible, except for that one, right? One day we're all going to stand before God. But what, is he say, what does he say about that? He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of everything that we have done in our body, whether it be what? Thank you, good or bad. You know what I think? That if you're living your life for God every day, 
and you're doing what he says, and you have a communication with him every day, and you're living your life according to that book, and you're listening to the preaching, and you're out there witnessing, and you're trying to do your best for God, then honestly, you're probably going to give an account of more good than bad. All right, two of you believe that that is going to happen. I'm, I hope I'm with you, man. <laughs> you say, are you afraid of the judgment? Well, of course, because I have to stand before God. But you say, what do you do? I take an old statement that was given to me years ago. This man said this, keep short accounts with God. And when I do wrong, I do this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what I did. I'm back here again. Please forgive me for the same things over and over again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Then I get up, and I don't live in the past like the Bible says. He says, forgetting those things which are be past, and I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. And if he come back right now, I don't have anything right now in my heart that I can honestly say, I have to get right with God before God, before he comes back. You say, what are you? I'm looking for a blessed hope without there being any ill thoughts in my mind. Some of you aren't praying for the rapture. You say, why? Because you know what you've got to give account for. You know what you ought to do? Live pure before God. It is your choice. And then that judgment day, the Bible says you'll give account of everything, good or bad. Yeah, you're going to have to give account of those things. But if you're living for God as a Christian with personal purity, trying your best to serve God, shouldn't you have to give account of a bunch of good things you've done for him? So live your life right for God. Have a personal purity. These men did. You say, what else were they? They were found faithful. Hebrews, or Revelation, excuse me, Revelation 14, 4, the second part of that verse. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits of God and to the Lamb. You know what they were? They were faithful followers. They had a thriving testimony, a shameless song, a personal purity, and they, had, they were faithful followers. So let me give you a thought on this. What do we know about Enoch? Right. He walked with God. You know what we sometimes think when we hear that? God, I'm going this way. I'd like you to join me. Come on. This isn't a bad route. <laughs> Yet this is what I think happened. He walked with God. Let's read the verses for what it says. God's walking and Enoch's with him. God takes this route. Enoch goes, okay, I'll go over here. Bible points out the fact that God is in control. And Enoch walked with him. You know what these men, they follow the Lord. You say, what do you need to do? You need to be on your knees every day. Even if you can't get on them, get, in, get on them in your heart and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? So you've, settled, you've scheduled out your life, and I am the same way. I've got my whole life scheduled out. It's funny how God has not looked at those plans yet. <laughs> I've scheduled my whole day out, and you know what I've heard? That still small voice every once in a while say, go there. Do that. Say this. You know what I hear that still small voice is when I study to preach, and the Lord says, preach that. I'll tell you this story, and I'll get to the last point. I was studying and I was reading in Ezekiel. I'm just now starting. I, I, I'm going to be finishing my Bible again coming up here not too long, but right now I'm in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Yay. <laughs> so exciting. I'm so looking forward to Bible reading tomorrow. It's the top books to read. I just great. And I'm reading through Ezekiel about a hole in a hole Obama and 
about those two ladies. <laughs> the Bible calls them harlots, and how they're confederate with the world. And I'm reading this chapter in Ezekiel 23, and the Lord said, it's a Wednesday night, the Lord said, preach on that. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there to preach, and you want me to preach about a hole in a hole Obama? Are you kidding? And he said, preach on it. Okay. I had young people in the room, so I skipped a number of verses, and I said, listen, parents, I'm not trying to bring up a whole question and answer session when you get home, so I'm going to skip some verses here, but I'm going to preach on these words being confederate with, and then I went on. And I talked about a whole and a whole Obama, and I started explaining who they were and who they were a type of and how they had done wrong. And I went into this message, and I, I went into it not waxing eloquent, just kind of going into it and then got to the points. And a lady came up to me after the service, and she said, Pastor, yesterday I was reading Ezekiel, I think it's 23, about a whole and a whole Obama, and I said, God, it would be funny if you would have Pastor Gip preach a message on this. I hope I never have to preach it again, but boy, am I glad that I let him lead. Boy, am I glad that I said, God, I'll preach whatever chapter of the book you want. I'll preach it even if it doesn't make any sense, you know, <laughs> three, three letters in the forehead. I'll preach it even if they don't get it, God, if that's what you want. You say, what are you going to do? I'm going to preach what he says. The Lord told me one time, he said, I want you to go through Psalms 119, and I want you to preach on the word affliction. It's in there about five times. I want you to preach on every one of those things. And I got done on a Sunday night preaching on the word affliction, and a lady came up with tears. This is New York, just coming down her face. She opened up a piece of paper, and on that paper, on top of it, it said affliction. She said, Pastor, I've been doing a study just on the word affliction. You say, what are you doing? I'm just trying to let him lead. I'm just trying to be a follower, a faithful follower, even if it doesn't make any sense. Leading singing one time, and I stopped and I said, I don't know what it is, but I feel like the Lord just said, somebody's got a song in here that they've been thinking. The guy raised his hand, he says, I can't stop singing, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And I said, well, let's sing it. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And we sang the song. You said, why'd you do that? Because the Lord said to do it. You know what I want to do? I want to be a faithful follower. That means that I have to get out of the driver's seat of my life and maybe not even get in the back seat, maybe just get in the trunk and let him do all the leading. Onward through the fog, but if you know who you're following, it's worth it. You know what these men were? They were faithful followers. They had a thriving testimony. They had a shameless psalm. They had a personal purity. They were faithful followers. And then it, it, it comes to an end here in verse 5. They had an excellent end. Verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile, Revelation 14, 5, and in their mouth is found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Amen. Could you imagine? That's going to happen one day. We are going to stand before the throne of God. Boy, do I want it to be said that I stood before the throne of God without fault. Jesus Christ did everything in his power that he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I want to be able to get before the throne and have an excellent end like these men did. I'm not these men. I don't have their calling. I don't have their gospel. I don't, I'm not, these are men that are going to be in the future. I don't have their designation. But I have the same commission to go into the world and tell people about the Lord 
I can have the same thriving testimony. I can have the same shameless song. I can have the same personal purity, the same faithful follower. I can have the same excellent end. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Paul says this, none of these things move me, neither count I my life joy unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I want to end right. These men had an excellent end. Now, the New Testament church is not these guys. We're out of here before these guys even show up on the scene. <laughs> Amen? They're not these guys. But that doesn't mean you can't live your lives like them today. And if God is looking for some people, and he is, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. God is looking for people like this. Would you make the cut? Would you make the cut today? Because he's still imploring people to go and tell them, the world, about him. But he needs people with a higher set of morality and standard and goal and life, a life that is like his. Would you make the cut today? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I believe of all the people, and I don't know much about the Treasure Valley, but of all the people in the Treasure Valley, you got the best percentage to be those people. <laughs> be the ones who will stand out with thriving testimony. They know you're the Christian at work, at school, amongst your family. You're the one who's got the joy of the Lord in his heart with a shameless song. You don't care what people think. You just... You care about glorifying God. You're the one with a personal purity that when the world tries to tempt you and tries to get you to do certain things to be more like them, you step out and you don't have to beat your chest. You just have to say no. And you have a personal purity. You're the one who, when the Lord says do this, you just do it. You don't need to know the end result. You're a faithful follower. And if you do that, I'll tell you this, You'll have an excellent end. You'll have an excellent end. But it's going to take some work on your part. The Lord's dealt with you this morning as the piano plays. You need to come talk with the Lord. Why don't you get up and come down and talk to God? Start with that thriving testimony, but not caring about who sees you move right now. The Lord's dealt with you today. Why don't you come deal with him? you're not saved in this room today, I didn't talk about salvation. But you can't even begin to take this message to heart until you've taken him to heart. Until you know him personally, this message will never take root. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, man, we've got someone to serve who is so worth it. He is worth every moment of my day. Sometimes I fail on these things. What do you do? I just get back up and I go back at it because the world isn't doing it. Let them see a difference in you.
this morning, 405. 405. Take my life and let it be. God bless you.